This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 113, about the Defenders, season 1, episode 1. You think I'm holding back? Hello fellow Defenders and welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast, where we're here talking about the first episode of The Defenders on Netflix. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. Yes, and rounding out the group, I'm your third and final host, John. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We're finally here. Yes. What is it? 112 episodes? Oh, yeah, 112 episodes just getting to this point. All roads have led to not Doctor Strange, uh, but of course the Defenders. <laughs> and we're so welcome to all of our new listeners who are hopefully joining us for the first time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And of course, if you want to subscribe to our podcast over at Apple Podcasts, you can just go to DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes or just search Defenders TV Podcast in any other good podcast catcher of your choice. Absolutely, yeah. I think we're going to crack into this one. We've been waiting to talk about it for a long, long time, haven't we? Almost like it's 112 episodes in the making. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we are very lucky. We've had the opportunity to watch uh, the first episode ahead of the release date. It's releasing on August 18th, which is why you're able to listen to this uh, as early as you are. We're releasing the episode itself just after you finished watching the first episode. So if you have not watched the first episode of The Defenders, if you mistakenly downloaded our podcast and didn't get the chance to watch it, this isn't the one you listen to on the on the bus to work before you watch the episode. This is spoiler-filled, a proper spoiler-filled discussion. We will be spoiling everything about the first episode of The Defenders. Yes, absolutely. And for all you newcomers, we, of course... Uh take our top five points of each episode and discuss and go through everything to do with this first episode of the defenders so derek what are the episode details who's involved who's written it very lucky here on our first episode we get the showrunners uh, taking over the uh, the writing duties on the, on this episode that's marco ramirez and doug petri um, they are both the showrunners for daredevil season two and they are the showrunners now for the defenders so kind of creating their stamp on the show by getting the first episode it's tended to be the way the netflix guys have divvied up the writing duties for the series so far and um, doug petri he's been involved in daredevil as well he wrote seven episodes of that show wrote over 17 episodes of buffy did episodes of angel and american horror stories so loads and loads of history there with Doug Petrie and, and TV yeah ah uh, Buffy I'm expecting good things absolutely uh, Mark Ramirez did six episodes of Daredevil and was involved in Sons of Anarchy and Orange is the New Black and did episodes of, the, of Fear the Walking Dead as well so uh, so blood will be in this show mm-hmm. yeah following on from from uh, Daredevil you could definitely tell that that's where he came from couldn't you yeah, oh, these guys—they have the pedigree. Let's put it. Let's put it straight out there. These guys know the defenders. They know, understand the Marvel Netflix universe mm-hmm. that they—they've helped create the Marvel Netflix universe. And uh, they probably let's be. We do know that uh, the, the writers from Daredevil, the writers from Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist—they talked. They—they've obviously kind of had interactions. So these guys are coming in. Uh, 
coming in strong. They had the bona fides, as Kevin Smith would say. There you go. There you go. Uh, also involved in the show is S.J. Clarkson. Uh, she directed this episode. Uh, S.J. Clarkson did two episodes of the awesome Jessica Jones series. She did AKA Crush Syndrome and AKA Ladies Night. Um, she's a British director. She's worked on British soap operas like EastEnders and Casualty, but's worked in the in the US for almost 10 years now, working on things from Heroes to Dexter to Bates Motel. So done many, many other shows <laughs> along with Jessica Jones. That's great that it's nothing like any of the British soaps like EastEnders and Casualty. And more <laughs> like Bates Motel and Dexter. Well done. I agree. I agree. But great to have another director from Jessica Jones on board. Exactly. And let's remember, like, episode two, which was a.k.a. Crush Syndrome, was fantastic. It was the one post, like, that we everyone was like, oh, my God, that just happened to Hope. Where the hell do we go for with this? Mm-hmm. She... She did a great one, and we got that scene where it was uh, Typhoid Mary and Jessica for the first time being picked up by the throat. Can, how can you forget? <laughs> Typhoid Mary. Would that might pay off in a future episode of Jessica Jones. You never know. But for you listeners, if you want to know what that is, you'll have to listen to our review of Crush Syndrome. Um, John, do you want to tell us what they all gave us together for our first episode of The Defenders? Sure. While battling a new weapon of the hand, Danny Rand and Colleen Wing track down a, a dying member of the group who tells them to return to New York to continue their fight against the hand. Meanwhile, with the help of Bobby Fish and Foggy Nelson, Luke Cage is released from Seagate Prison. His first stop is to go and get some coffee with Claire Temple. While there, New York Police Department detective Misty Knight shares her investigation into some suspicious deaths of young men in Harlem. Elsewhere, as Jessica Jones arrives home from another night out on the whiskey, a woman calls to her broken door to ask her to find her missing husband. Initially expecting it's another cheating husband, Jessica gets a call from a mysteriously disguised voice telling her not to take the case. On the other side of the city, Matt Murdock is struggling with his choice to give up being Daredevil. He's focusing on pro bono legal work to protect the innocent of the city. After winning a case which left a young man in a wheelchair, Matt reconnects with Karen Page. There is also another mysterious player in town with a plan to make the city of New York fall. She brings forward her plan with the aid of Madame Gao and a reanimated Electra Nachos. As each of the defenders goes about their tasks in the city, their lives are suddenly interrupted by a huge city-wide earthquake. So I really like the structure of this episode. Not only do we get to spend loads of time with the characters that we've known and loved, getting back up to speed where they are, but it really helps us in our top five points. John mentioned that the way we cover our episodes is by picking our top five points overall, good and bad, throughout each of the episodes. This time we're really lucky. We've got four individual characters, all from (laughs) different series, all where where their stories don't intersect. And we have the introduction of our brand new villain for the show, Sigourney Weaver's character. So that's kind of going to be our top five points. John, do you want to start us off with the first of our defenders, Iron Fist, where he is and, and what's got, what's happening with him? First and foremost, the episode picks off with Iron Fist. He's the last of the defenders that we got to see. And, you know, I really like how they framed him. To me, it intuitively feels better. And this is... This is no um, slight on the Iron Fist series, which ultimately, despite a few little um, setbacks for me, I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. But there's something for me that 
the way um, Danny Rand here is framed with regards to his PTSD feels intuitively better uh, and more accurate to his character. Um, like, I think those flashbacks to Kunlun and his failure to, to protect the city that adopted him, um, it is really good, even just the face to face with his, his other self, you know, one half of his psyche telling him how he has effectively, in a green arrow kind of a way, failed his uh, mysterious city. True. Um, I really enjoyed this. And even down to that opening encounter in the sewer system in Cambodia, it was so atmospheric. Um, it was just really cool. I mean, I know in the synopsis I said mysterious figure, but I think I got a little hint of uh, the old Return of the Dead and uh, Electra Nachos uh-huh. there. Um, I, I love the fact that, you know, his Iron Fist, he's obviously... Um, been practicing how to to get his uh, fist on, so to speak. Even just down to the fact that when he had charged up the his chi and his fist was glowing yellow, you got the steam from the dripping water coming off it. Oh, that was a really special touch for me. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was so atmospheric. I liked how he reacted to the guy dying, his interaction with Colleen Wing, um, and the fact that, you know, we're told here that this mysterious figure is the fastest that Colin Wing has ever seen as well. I loved that it was more shadowy for Iron Fist. It was just really, really good. I suppose one of the other things is they were back on the plane, so they did reference a few things um, from the series. Uh-huh. They were travelling back uh, in the plane, um, and I loved that sequence of the massacre in Kunlun. So I wonder if that's Electra that did that, you know? We know the hand got there. Um, effectively, they're saying it was destroyed or attacked. And yeah. rather than it just simply sort of moving off its 15-year cycle and into another plane. So really, uh, you know, a few more uh, additions to, to this Iron Fist story, definitely. So, John, this actually has that... Well, we think this potentially has answered the question we had at the end of Iron Fist going... We weren't 100% sure whether the city had disappeared or whether it was just blown up kind of in ruins because it was quite smoky and we just seen it. We only had seen a couple of bodies at the entrance to Kung Lung. Yeah, and they were all the hand as well. Yes, the hand and, well, there was a couple of monks as well, wasn't there? One or two monks? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, definitely um, the hand, yeah. Yeah. But this, whether I, we need to figure out whether the monks the dead monks he sees is some form of ptsd is this kind of like a delusion he imagines has happened because of his perceived failure of kung lung for protecting or did he actually see this did they manage to walk into the some of the monasteries in kung lung and actually see these dead bodies i think that's definitely it's either that's what he is thinks has happened it's it, it's his guilt from not having been there yeah. and this is sort of feeding into um the ptsd and um, all the the anxiety that he holds as a person it could be actually what happened but it is definitely in this instance him with 
that that sort of nightmare uh, whilst he's asleep of, of what he thinks has happened. So I suppose it's not confirmation as such that that's what happened, mm-hmm. but um, certainly it may fill in uh, a, a few uh, little snippets as to what has happened. Yeah. Um, because they've been investigating this, you know, up in up in the mountains to see what's happened. They've been tracking down the hand. So maybe they've pieced something together, which is why he is really living this trauma that he has failed um, his city. Yeah, he calls out that they've been chasing the hand for months at this stage, and this was their final lead, and that that final lead is now gone. Uh, one of the touches I really loved in in this after the fight sequence is that Electros um, sliced Danny across the center of his chest, right across his Iron Fist symbol, um, which I thought was a really interesting touch because he's now feeling I'm not able to be the Iron Fist. I wasn't there to protect the members of Kunlun. I am no longer the Iron Fist. And if you look at it in the mirror, if you look at at the actual symbol, it's now sliced directly through like a not Iron Fist symbol, like yeah. a no smoking kind of sign. <laughs> uh, so I thought it was a nice little touch that, that they bring that in, just the way the slash happened. Uh, and again, it shows that he's not invulnerable here. He's uh, he's definitely not the best in the world. Electra's a strong fighter. Uh, and I really love the opening sequence, as you say, John. It was beautifully shot. Yeah, where did she go? Like, what's her power that allows her to effectively get punched by the immortal iron fist um, into a room that seemed to have no way out, um, but she has disappeared? Mm -hmm. Is it stealth-like up the wall and through sort of a grate at the top, or... Parkour. I, I don't know. Or yeah, parkour. Sewer (laughs) parkour, basically. Or is there something about Electra that, you know, now infused with the blood of a thousand dead hand... uh, minions that um she can now do something fairly uh, extraordinary as well like i don't know chris can, or derek can you have any idea maybe she's that... batman <laughs> 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 i just he's the, he's the one person that can get out of any room he's put in so uh she seems to have a very similar style we know where she's gone though we see do see her later on in the episode which i'm sure we'll get to as we come on yeah i just wanted before we kind of wrap up on iron fist i had i have one nitpick on this that I kind of wanted to bring in which is I really wish they hadn't shown us Electra in the trailers for this I wish she was held back Mm. because straight away this feminine looking hooded character shadowed I knew who it was yeah I was like okay I know that's Electra like like she but can you imagine the reveal would have been so much more if they had not of uh, kind of shown her off in the trailer in that scene which we can get to later yeah. because I think that would have been so much more impactful that we see this hooded figure fighting Iron Fist going toe to toe with the Iron Fist who we know is an excellent martial artist and powerful taking a punch and then to be revealed later that it was her I thought would have been more but it was just me I like it was a great scene and I really enjoyed the opening oh, yeah. but that's just my kind of like I kind of wish they had a held that that secret in the the bag just for just until they released yeah no i I understand but i I do think that's kind of serving the audience that hasn't possibly watched daredevil um the audience that's trying to follow jessica jones's story or luke cage's story or or you know obviously iron fist story that are coming to this without seeing daredevil season two potentially who don't know electra so if you think about it from that point of view she is just a, a very visibly good fighter who was introduced at the end of the episode and we'll learn more about her in future but i do agree with you chris it would have been great to not know that she was in the series and then see her fighting here but i still think i would have guessed it was her (laughs) we're the burden of knowledge kind of at this point and i i I say that as 
a, both a positive and negative. We've kind of delved in and have 112 episodes of looking at this series. So, yes, we see. I do like your idea that someone who's new, someone who's just seen Jessica Jones and has decided, oh, I enjoyed Luke Cage or Jessica Jones or Iron Fist. I want to come in and I'll just come straight into this. Yet they have to reintroduce all these characters. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the final thing for, for for me as well is that, you know, Iron Fist really, of these four um, almost mini stories uh, in, in this episode of the individual defenders, you know, he is slightly apart from the others. He's not at ground level. Uh, Daredevil, Luke Cage, uh, and Jessica are all, you know, uh, on the streets of, of their neighborhoods, you know, fighting cases, drinking uh, uh having a lot of coffee do you know um and uh whereas iron fist you know does have that separation um from the other three at this moment and yeah. it'll be interesting to see then how he re- how he connects in probably through claire temple um or and, and colleen wing reconnecting it'd be really nice to see how he connects in because i i think you know that that is also an important element within the comics of, of iron fist that he is a billionaire but he, he then he becomes street level and is most comfortable sort of in the the company of, of luke cage to say heroes for hire which is their team up as well as through say um, his relationship with Misty Knight. So I like the fact that they've kind of maintained that and it'd be yeah. good to see how they all connect together, but in particular Iron Fist, because he does feel so distinct in terms of origin uh-huh. uh, compared to the others. And remember, he is the only one that's actually fighting the hand at the opening of this episode. They are the big bad for the series. Everybody else is doing completely different things in their own lives and getting on with their own lives, which we'll talk about. Uh, but he's the only one that's actually following and fighting and hunting the hand which is directly in from from iron fist yeah and and just on a general point and this will lead us into our second point of course uh but i i really like the the structure of the these four kind of distinct looks at the individual defenders i think um you know it, it it's a really good way of introducing these characters to people who maybe haven't watched the uh uh, pre- preceding uh, individual series uh, it, it really gives a nice flavor of the four characters which i thought was really good actually yeah no john that's a great point and actually before we get into jessica jones because obviously my namesake is my heart and soul and i want, can't wait to talk about her again but um there is that scene in the helicopter where we have danny and colleen talking about coming to manhattan and Colleen saying that she can't. She's so happy to be home, mm-hmm. and then we do have uh, Danny, the Iron Fist, saying this doesn't feel like home to him. She kind of responds with the very much, it can be anything you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Home can be. So I think that, and I, I, I know that kind of you guys feel the same that this probably is his how his introduction to Manhattan, um, and the the kind of more upmarket side of the million the millionaires club of. Uh, Manhattan and New York that's how he will be introduced to the street level and that will become his home if you will yeah she's going to help him out definitely definitely because it contrasts really neatly with how integrated into the city the others feel you know and are comfortable with that yeah so can we talk about Jessica now absolutely Chris you can you can take Jessica I'm so happy guys Kristen Ritter's back in all her Jessica alcoholic violent and also uh 
swear jar, insert swear jar noise here. It's fantastic, isn't it? 2015 was the last time we saw Jessica Jones. We I think we finished our podcast about her in 2016, excuse me, at the start of that year. It's a long time to have her off screen. Um, and she wasn't, she wasn't included in Luke Cage. We thought she would be. Uh, so seeing her back here, I had the exact same, re- same reaction uh, seeing that first moment with her sitting in the bar, sitting at the bar, <laughs> telling the bartender, the night's, the night's not over yet. And he's going, night, it's morning, get out yeah. of the bar. She was asleep in the bar. She, that was the <laughs> best. It's just that moment where you go, Jessica Jones is back. They yeah. got her. Uh, I mean, I have exactly the same reaction uh, as you guys. Uh, this, to me, was just like... Ah, Jessica's back. Mm. And it was just, like, fantastically done. And, yeah, Kristen Ritter knocks it out of the park. We meet up again with Trish, you know, one of her longtime friends. Uh, and even, you know, you have her going, is the whiskey in this coffee? Mm-hmm. Um, as Jessica swaps them around because, yes, she's got a little morning warmer um, in her morning coffee uh, probably about two glasses of whiskey. Probably more whiskey than coffee. Um, it's more Irish coffee than Irish coffee. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just so happy. This was interstitial before season two. Mm-hmm. It was very much a warm opening. It was like, hey, this is Jessica. This is Trish. This is the relationship they have. Like, Jessica doesn't want to be a hero. We have that beautiful dialogue between kind of Trish and Jessica kind of going you know do you want to speak to my publicist there's people the city needs a hero they see you as a hero and we have Jessica going I'm not a hero I don't want to be a hero I don't want to be in the spotlight she just wants to be mm-hmm. Jessica and they're saying and Trish is saying that you can make a lot of money out of this yeah. you've beaten a really bad guy and people love that story and Jessica's going how much do I pay to stop the attention how much could they yeah. pay me to not talk about it um, yeah and I, I think, again, that's a really like interesting point, Chris, because you have Jessica, who doesn't want to be a hero. You have Matt Murdock, who is willing to put his hero away in the box, his suit. You know, uh, really, he has to fight it. He's on a, maybe a, at a different point than Jessica. But there's two here that, you know, don't want to be heroes anymore they, they've done that and they've been burned and it's made them question doing that i think with jessica it's definitely actually she just doesn't see herself as a hero whereas daredevil ha- has been a hero wanted to do that and has really for the sake of getting his life back on track has had to put the hero inside the box but then you have like luke cage who most definitely is straight out of prison saying i want to help harlem i want to be the hero of harlem he's got that tag and uh i'm fist with danny rand who is still like learning his mantle but he's he accepts it and he he's learning to to really fully develop it so again you have that really nice little interesting contrast of of the differences between these certainly with regards to being a superhero or not or or how that's affected them um i I think that's a really nice little uh through line between these four different stories um just as as much as that difference between street level and, and the the difference with Danny Rand's sake. Yeah. Uh, some some nice little threads that, that run through this mm-hmm. um for sure. Um 
as well. For me with Jessica, I love the fact that her life is still really just pretty shitty as much as it was beforehand. Okay, she's not got Kilgrave, it's not that shitty. I love when they first go into her apartment and effectively you've still got the holes in the wall. Mm -hmm. The door is looking even more of an absolute mess. Um, Can we just call that that? Can we just call that out as an Easter egg for Jessica Jones watchers? The door that cannot stay cannot stay unbroken. She's had it replaced twice, I think, during the season of Jessica Jones. For no reason at all, given in this episode, they come back up to the apartment and the door is boarded back up again. Uh, There's a conversation between herself and Malcolm who says he changed the locks on the door because the door was broken again. So... Uh, either Jessica just forgets her keys a lot and smashes that window to break into the <laughs> into her office, which is very likely, to be honest. Um, or something, other stuff has happened that we're that we're not privy to. But yeah, uh, just love the touch. It's a nice little Easter egg that we can't yeah, call them. Uh, Malcolm, I know, sweet I sweet Malcolm back, looking much less heroin induced, um, m- buffed up. Dare I say? Very healthy. Um, I yeah. was really pleased to see Malcolm back there in Jessica's apartment. Um, Loved his character in Jessica Jones and really nice him sort of interacting with, you know, new locks on the doors. There was the whole don't look over my shoulder part from Jessica whilst he's looking over the shoulder. So he moves to the other shoulder, um, which I thought was hilarious and she didn't mind that. Um, But I'm really pleased to see Malcolm back, uh, one of my favourite characters from from Jessica Jones. Went through a lot, yeah. Yeah, I I, I can't. Yeah, you guys have covered a majority of kind of, I, and I echo everything. Um, for me, the door is. I want that story. The end of season one of Jessica <laughs> Jones. We were getting a new pane of glass, and it was Alias Investigations, and I was so happy. So I want that to be explained. <laughs> I do think it's slightly explained by Malcolm. I think yeah. he does say that the that he had to bust into the apartment because um because uh, with with the new keys. Sorry, yeah. it could it could be a Marvel once off like Peggy Carter. It go. could be the Alias Investigations door, and you would just see repeated uh, things being thrown through it, or a fist through it, or some kind of fire damage, mm-hmm. water damage, termites, Jessica Jones damage. You know, you name it. But let's talk about the actual thrust of her storyline, because obviously there's, there's, the part of it, obviously, is that Jessica's back. That's awesome. But obviously there's a big part of the storyline here. She gets a new case um, from a woman calling up to her door. Another central, wonderful thing about Jessica Jones is she just assumes that any, any man who's a missing person is cheating on his wife <laughs> and says it right in front of the man's daughter and wife going, just accept it. That's what's happened. I'm not going to waste your time and your money finding this guy who's obviously cheating on you because that's what all of my cases are um loved this scene loved the the interaction between the characters and really liked the kind of the bitchy kids i suppose talking back at jessica yeah young uh, jessica basically yeah. yeah i'm hoping that this that, that that bitchy kid comes back i'm hoping she's yeah. the new hope i don't want her to die like hope but uh, I'm, I'm kind of seeing that potentially that could be a reason. We Nobody will have... wants hope to die. No. But anyway, <laughs> this case is fantastic. It was just a kernel, the appetizer we need for Jessica needs yeah. in order to get through. And that's the interesting. She gets the, she plays off this this case. It's like just, yeah, it's another kind of adulterous husband. Get over it. And then we we get, and she gets this very interesting mysterious phone call with the the voice changing with the voice modulated kind of um caller on the other end Mm -hmm. 
um, which I, I'm now intrigued. That was the bit. I was like, you've hooked Jessica, you've hooked me. I want to know what this is. Definitely. And what I love about it is the reason why Jessica now takes the case is because she got a phone call that said, do not take the case. Yeah. Um, yep. A very Jessica Jones move. Uh, loved it. Um, and yes, she's, she winds up in the apartment of the person that made the phone call, or thinks, um, she thinks made the phone call. And in the apartment, she finds box after box of explosives. So something seriously big going on. Uh, with this guy so i'm calling it now the mysterious <laughs> oh. phone caller was most likely someone from the cast mm-hmm. which is uh, for our new listeners and um, the cast is the organization that fights against the hand which um we in daredevil you're introduced to a gentleman called stick who mentored daredevil he is uh, the one of the the heads of or one of the the big wigs in the cast. We also see Stone, and they all have weird names. We'll, we'll explain more as we kind of go through. But I'm assuming this was most likely Stick or someone from the cast trying to get Jessica to come look because it was like, oh no, you! I call you from my apartment where I'm storing a load of the C4 and demolitions explosives. No henchman is that. They're not like Bebop and Rocksteady level of kind of stupidity. Like, I'm assuming this was the, the... I'm calling it now. It was the mysterious phone call is from someone trying to get her and bring her into the case. You promised, even though there is Daredevil, you'd make no more Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comments. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> I have to. go for to. Bebop and Rocksteady. Interesting. Yeah, I get, but would you prefer me to kind of pull in a foot soldier, kind of? Literally a foot soldier? No, nope, that's Reference? Cool. That's okay, cool. just checking. Before we get to Matt Murdock, because he is central and he's got another great story. Um... I just wanted to echo what John was saying about Malcolm. At the end of Jessica Jones, we had seen this character who had been subjected to a life as a junkie, forcibly as a junkie for years. We now see Malcolm. He is Jessica's sidekick. He mm-hmm. is that, I'm going to help you even though you don't want me to. He is the, the annoying Dick Grayson or uh, kind of... Uh, that's for all our DC fans, the, the Robin, if you will, to her Batman, mm-hmm. um, but slightly more annoying to her. Just one more thing. There has to be one more thing. We have Whiskey Watch back. <gasps> Whiskey Watch! Jessica is seen glugging a Winston Canadian whiskey. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we will get a bottle of whiskey in every episode of The Defenders like we did for Jessica Jones. We will certainly be we'll looking have out to for, see. for Whiskey Watch. Hopefully we had an Irish whiskey in there this time. There was an Irish whiskey in it, but at 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. that's, right. that's right. It was a good night had by all. If you're joining us for the first time, what Whiskey Watch was, was throughout Jessica Jones Season 1, we were actually on the Eiffel Watch Out for every bottle of whiskey that we could find mm-hmm. that Jessica was drinking. And... Strangely enough, there was at least one new one per episode. <laughs> so we created a great drinking game ourselves, or just watch along game, where we called it Whiskey Watch. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there we go. Winston's Canadian Whiskey. I have no idea whether it tastes good, bad, or indifferent. You might have to source a bottle by our episode two podcast, perhaps. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's get on to, on to part three, or our third point of the episode uh, is Matt Murdock, uh, probably the biggest character. We've we've obviously had uh, two full seasons of Matt Murdock, so a lot has been going on in his life. Kind of interesting to find that he's given up being Daredevil. The last scene we saw of him was revealing to Karen Page that he is Daredevil. We talked about this on our recap episode. This time we get to see Matt Murdock doing some lawyering. 
been a while since we saw that. Big time, yeah. Yeah, he kind of left it up to Foggy Nelson uh, last time. Uh, This time we get a very high-profile case, which he talks about working pro bono for. So that means that the $11 million he's got for the family, Matt doesn't get anything of. Is that right? Other than his basic expenses? I'm sure he'll get, like, a a load of fish, like he did for some (laughs) of the other cases in, I think it was season two, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, possibly. Uh, I do like this, though. I think it's a really interesting moment for Matt to to get him as a lawyer in in Hell's Kitchen again. It's something that was kind of missing in, in Daredevil season two. We kind of, uh, he tended to avoid going to court, going to the courtroom uh, for most of the time. So interesting to see him uh, in this position going up against big business. Yeah. 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 He's hung up the horns and well, he couldn't really have him in season two going to the courtroom as battered and bruised as he was. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, this was the, one of the elements we loved about season one. And the, one of the elements we love about the character of Matt Murdock Daredevil is this courtroom law and order style kind of back and forth where he we see him kind of go against the, um, the one of the, the plaintiffs, if you will. And he does, he goes at that man going, well, you did this, but actually you didn't, you received this and blah, blah, blah. And he, you see him, you see Charlie Cox, the reason he is so good as Matt Murdock, yeah. because he is able to carry that. I'm blind, but hey, I'm still one of a heck of a lawyer and I'm able to literally catch you in every lie. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get that very trope where it's like he's going to listen to the man's heartbeat and everything fades out and like it was nothing like that which we've seen in a really bad daredevil movie with ben Affleck. like we don't get anything like that and i was happy to see him kind of do that and win as matt murdoch yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely um, and then he ended off having this really interesting conversation with the kid who's uh, yeah, i love that i have to say that was one of the one of the best moments really in the in the episode for me um definitely just had this conversation where effectively he's trying to impart the wisdom that he's learned over the years of struggling and fighting and getting to his level it's almost it's almost a stick move and um, what he says to the kid i do mean that uh what he says to the kid when he's going that money's going to be great for your parents but doesn't do anything for you you're still kind of in this situation and you've got to get yourself out of it it's not up to this money to solve your problem you need to work on getting yourself right maybe you'll walk again maybe not but you need to work and get yourself yeah right. i i love that talk i thought it um I mean, this whole the whole Daredevil bit for me in in this episode just felt really uh, intimate and really personal. From that chat to the kid, even in the courtroom where he's talking to to the jury, it felt like it was that conversation to them. Even though obviously it was public, but it all just felt very intimate and very personal you could really feel that i think from mm. from the daredevil bits um, and I, yeah i love that talk to the disabled kid it was almost like this reality check to him to say you know yeah you have to build yourself back up and fight even with this money and um, but even down to the confessional with um with the priest um i just i i love that where father latham really is almost like telling him you know don't you miss it? You know, you should be out there. And I love that contrast then with meeting with Karen Page where she actually says to him, it was the right thing to do. Um, and actually that New York City needs Matt Murdock, not the Daredevil, even though he probably helped bring down the crime. Mm-hmm. All, all these little things just seem so personal to Matt, even down to in his apartment where he's fighting the urge not to suddenly just go running out to 
beat someone up and be the daredevil, you know, wait until he hears the sirens or whatever. Yeah. And I thought the use of the camera, as you say, Chris, there was no kind of trope of the beating heart sound or anything, but the use of the depth of field in the camera to, to make things out of focus or the focus in on just sort of Charlie Cox sort of doing the moves that he does, um, which really conveys a sense of him listening or just sensing um, the world around him, uh, I thought was really well done. It really took me back to the first few episodes of season one of Daredevil where they really, you know, to establish that he's blind and so on, that that, that kind of use of uh, depth of field within the camera to make him feel within his own bubble uh, was, was really used. And I, I really loved that aspect of, of of daredevil here yeah and he is the character that both marco ramirez and and uh, doug petri know best really he's, he's the one that they've worked most with uh, on the previous shows so um it does feel having a character coming into this show that has two seasons of establishing who they are versus some of the other characters you probably have to work a little bit harder to to particularly for jessica jones to establish who she is in this world for Luke Cage, a little less because it's not as long ago. And for Iron Fist, probably a little bit less to establish who he is because you had a series of the show out just a couple of months ago. So um, so it is interesting that they kind of... It, it feels like Matt walks into this world as in a certain way, which is he's now a lawyer who's given up being Daredevil and he can be a lot more personal with... Uh, with what's going on in his life. It can be about him being a good lawyer and giving up th- those pieces. I did laugh at the scene with a little bit with Father Latham. I thought it was a brilliant scene. As always, I love the actor that play- plays Father Latham. But it does make me laugh as a former Catholic, knowing that there's a confessional box. Usually on the other side of the confessional box is somebody else waiting their turn uh, for Father Latham. Um, Father Latham has a very personal conversation about Daredevil with Matt Murdock you're usually able to hear what the priest is saying. You're not usually able to hear what the other person confessing their sins in the other side of the confessional box can say, but you are usually able to hear the priest. So I'm just expecting that someone's on the other side of that wall, like Wilson Fisk is on the other side going, (laughs) oh, Matt Murdock's Daredevil. Obviously. I should have known that. (laughs) You mean it's a gossip box, not a confessional box? Well, you can hear the priest. The priest don't usually have the conversation that deep into, you know, are are we talking about that with the other life that you have? I'm agreeing a lot of what you guys are saying here on daredevil i enjoyed matt's uh, kind of courtroom scene unfortunately for me i don't know why but that the conversation he had with the kid didn't click for me okay and i know you guys enjoyed it and i can see why you enjoyed it like i understand what they were trying to set up but in my head i just going well yeah matt you're blind but you can still walk this kid's in a wheelchair so in this Someone gives him like a, a technologically hover chair like Charles Xavier had in the X-Men. We're probably, he's probably not going to be a superhero. And I was just, I, I found it kind of almost disingenuous. Not, not because it was that. It was just the way my mind perceived it. So it took on a, a bad skew and that. I rewatched the episode a second time and mm-hmm. I can see where they were trying to go with it. Now, I'd say 99.9% of people in the audience who watch this will see it the way you guys did, which were what they were trying to do, like, hey, you can be more, don't let what's happened to you rule your life, etc. Matt's talking about being Daredevil himself and kind of all that, and he didn't let the issues that he had face uh, adverse effects on him as a, throughout his life. I just didn't click with me. 
Okay. And I could, but I see it. Like they are kind of a pains to point out that this kid has been affected by um, by the works that happened in the uh, in the train station. That yep. this has affected him and has has stopped him being able to walk. But they do mention a few times that there is a possibility he will walk again. It's it's a it's possibly a temporary uh, situation for the kid. Uh, what Matt's really talking to him, it feels like Matt's really talking to him about, is the anger issues that he has. He asks him. Um, are you ang- your, your therapist will say to you, don't be angry. And the kid says, I am angry. And Matt says, at who? Kid says, everybody. And that's when Matt sparks off with the, well, you can't live your life like that moment. It's, yeah. more, it's more about the anger and more about managing that and more about managing your own pain yeah. internally and not depending on anybody else, regardless of now having $11 million at, at his disposal. Yeah. That's the bit that's not going to fix him. The only thing that will fix him is fixing himself and being and, and working on himself internally because nobody else can do that for him. And I understand that. That's the kind of inspirational part. Don't think he's telling him to uh, to go out and get himself uh, a suit and go out and fight crime. Uh, <laughs> he's trying to encourage him to get out of this somber attitude the kid's in. It was pretty horrible, the parents, and all of his grandparents, I assume, um, who were all in the courtroom, all walking out and then walking away from him. They, <laughs> they didn't even try and take the, him. He was like, like, no, you can look after yourself. Like, Thank I you. thought they were going over to be interviewed by the press, but actually they're going over and hugging other people over at the side. We're and then, rich. <laughs> and then there's that great moment where Matt's, Matt's standing there. Obviously, again, he's blind. Um and he just kind of hears or notices that the kid is beside him. And that's when he has the conversation. It's kind of like, oh, they just left you here after winning all this money, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought that was a bit a bit odd. <laughs> but yes, it did set up what I thought was a good good conversation. But yeah. And um, then I, from my side, um, the, the conversation with Karen, yes. I was happy that the reintroduction, the pains, love interest we saw with kind of the reintroduction of Karen for the first time yeah. to Matt. And we've had our issues uh, and any of our uh, previous <laughs> listeners will know with with Karen as a character, uh, as Devon Waller, I should say, I've had my issues. Uh, I don't want to put the words into our other host's mouth. Mm-hmm. Um not with Deborah Ann Wall as the actress. I love her as an actress, um, and she's brought the character to life. It's just some of the decisions as a character. Um, we've I've questioned why the character, the motives, if you will. Um, but I'm happy to see her back, and it was that nice, touching piece. The bit I wanted to focus on now, before we kind of go on to uh, old uh, chocolate love himself, Mr. Hot Coffee, uh, Luke Cage, is that that scene where Matt is kind of fighting the, the urge to to go back out and save the, the, the save whoever was being attacked or the sirens, etc. I, I, I really expected them almost with that do the trope where he runs over to a chest and opens in the suit the suit's in there and almost like shaking. I don't know, I, I want to know more about the why he gave up and mm. what he's been doing since That's season two. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but do you understand what I mean? It's more what's happened since that's caused him to do that kind of like you'd still expect if someone was getting beaten up, he would you would even run out and jump kind of and say someone. What I do like about that though is the is the conversation the cop has when he arrives. He, he arrives in a couple of seconds. Like Matt wouldn't have been able to get the costume on and get across the road in the amount of time it takes the police officer to sort it out, and the police officer just gets out of the car and goes, "You over there, you over there," and puts one of the guys under arrest. Effectively, is what you hear, which is kind of like, could Matt? As Daredevil jump into all of those situations, you know, is he taking it too far? Maybe is that the point that in in the past he may have 
gone out all fists are flying and uh, and beat up these two guys who were having a fight on the street. Um, yeah, and it was part of the reason why that obsession with having to be all things to all people mm-hmm. and, and stop all crime or try and prevent the bad that was happening in his neighborhood, that cost him, you know, his law firm, his friendships with um, Foggy uh, and with Karen Page as well towards the end of, of season two. And that in the interim, at least he's decided this is the best way for him to try and kind of at least get some kind of balance to his life, really. Mm. Um, that's kind of how I took it. Um, it was nice to see Foggy there, but obviously in in the with Luke Cage, helping Luke Cage out, that relationship potentially is still strange yeah, yeah. Um, because we, we didn't see him with, with uh, Matt Murdock. I really like Karen's... Um, I like the way she kind of said it to, to, to Matt Murdock where she said, I think we all had to figure out who we were. I thought that was a really nice way of, of putting uh, the fact that, to be honest, it wasn't just you, Matt. Mm-hmm. I was going through my thing uh, and maybe Foggy was as well, really. And I like they didn't brush like over the that. carpet what happened at the end of the season. They do explain this. They do explain that he came into that room, showed her exactly who he is, the secret that he had. And she kind of walked away after hearing the secret. It sounds like it sounds like she kind of said, you know, I wonder, are you telling me this so I don't discover it? Are you, do you mean to release your secret identity kind of thing to me? Are you sure that was the right thing that you wanted to do it? Um, and then they just have broken apart to go and discover themselves and find out who they are before they come back because it does call into question so much of Karen Page's character throughout season one and season two. She didn't know it was Daredevil that she was talking about and had a certain opinion about him forming and a certain opinion about all vigilantes forming from her dealings with Punisher. So um, so I like that they did deal with it, that they did talk about it. Um, and I do like the fact that while he isn't Daredevil and is not out fighting, he does say to Latham, I lied to her. I want to go back to that life. I don't. I don't want to be the way I am, not living that life. I think that was a, a lovely touch. So the good thing is, for anybody who doubted it at all, at some point over the next seven episodes, we'll obviously see Daredevil back. Uh, I like the fact that he's calling it out. So um, so he is going to be back as Daredevil later on in the season. Okay, boys, it's time. Can we talk about the chocolate love and the hot coffee himself? Mr. Mike Coulter, the indestructible Luke Cage, uh-huh. is all back. Right. The abs oh, yeah. are back in town. I tell you what now. I could handle my kitchen being destroyed uh, in that way, um, to be honest. I I loved how they picked up his story. Mm -hmm. I just loved the the ease in which he kind of left Seagate. um, Just the the snapping of the cuffs in front of the warden. The coolness in which he uh, drove by public transportation, uh, which is unusual in America, back to Harlem. You know, some really nice shots that you picked out, Derek. You know, as he's coming into Harlem, uh, you see Pop's Barbershop yeah. there. It yeah. just as that little reference. I love the fact that he's just out of prison. He still sees himself as the hero of Harlem, which is what he was being called by the people of Harlem. Yeah. I love that he's taken on that mantle and wants to do good. Uh, but I, I like the fact that, um, you know, he has his his challenge from from Claire Temple here. Uh, you know, their, their post-sex uh, kind of 
talk talks to mm. each other and um, really yeah i do like the fact that he calls out that he doesn't call himself the hero of harlem as you say he calls out the fact that the people of harlem call him that the kid that says to him later on uh, you're the hero even what you do um, can't save me and he goes heroes your word and walks out yeah um, nice a nice little touch make sure that we that we uh, don't don't uh, say that he's kind of looking for the limelight but I like how they're treating him here I like they're treating him as the celebrity in Harlem that everybody knows him everybody knows what he's capable of that's not the case for any of the other characters some people have heard of Iron Fist you hear the guy from the hand at the beginning saying uh, calling him Iron Fist when he says I'm Danny Rand um, so there's some of them that are known some of them that aren't but Luke Cage is definitely everybody that meets him from the minute he gets off the bus knows exactly who he is and exactly what he can do because he he saved them from uh, from Dynamite. exactly and it's one of those other great little threads through through this as well in that he is known and Jessica is known uh, as these as these heroes mm. Daredevil and Iron Fist, at least within New York for Iron Fist, he's known within the world of The Hand and the cast and probably within the nine mysterious cities of heaven, or is it the seven mysterious cities of heaven? But, you know, he, in New York, Iron Fist is not um, well-known. So I, I like that kind of thing that will sort of meet as well uh, yeah. when when they all come together. One of the other lovely touches we have here in, in Luke Cage, we talked about it on our recap episode for Luke Cage, it was so driven as a show with music uh, surrounding everything that was going on and set, setting up everything. I love the cut that goes into Seagate Prison when we see Luke Cage walking out for the first time. It's walking out to um, the song by Mostef, uh, Sunshine. Uh, r- r- nice, cool little touch to have the same kind of music playing for, for Luke Cage. Later on, when he's going to meet, meet up with Claire, um, we have D'Angelo's song, The Lion, playing, another very famous uh, R&B song. Um, ni- just nice touches to have this character have his own, uh, his own kind of segment of the show because so many of these people involved in the shows people like Lauren Weeks the production designer and the and the writers and the directors have all been involved in the other shows so particularly for Luke Cage I felt having that moment when he walks out to music uh, and kind of get makes his way all the way to Claire to music is a, a nice touch to keep that in, in place and yeah as you mentioned earlier on he has his meetup with with Foggy Nelson so uh, while Foggy is a daredevil character he's, he has our our only real crossover I think in the episode, everybody else has all met each other before in the series, everybody that's dealing with each other. Um, so Foggy gets his crossover. He's definitely still working for Hogarth Chow and Benowitz, um, the lawyer firm run by Jerry Hogarth. So that's a nice little moment. I love that there's a little slag from Luke Cage. Yeah, him, absolutely. Um, when he says, I'm Franklin Nelson, but most people call me Foggy. And he goes, you let them. Um, nice little moment, but a nice smile from from Foggy, knowing that he's uh, that he's had a bit of a, a chance to meet the hero from Harlem. So. And the other thing is, is that he, Luke Cage, is absolutely focused on Black Mariah. Like, you know, he's out and he wants to make sure that Black Mariah um, and Shades yeah. and and Shades, yeah, absolutely, are are basically taken down by the law. Yeah, um, and that he can help in some way. Uh, and I love that conversation with with Misty Knight, who uh, rudely interrupted um, his, his post prison coffee with, with, with Claire mm-hmm. um, which I, I thought was an interesting if not probably awkward moment if that were to, to happen I love that moment where they're walking down and she's bought into him she's on side with him that yeah I could do with some help here on this as she kind of shows the these burnt out cars and you, you kind of 
get to hear that there's this pattern of of people getting new jobs that are off book, moving into a, a better neighborhood and so on, and then all of a sudden they're found dead in, in a burnt-out car. Yeah. And it's, is it Black Mariah? Is it something, and Shades, or is it something connected maybe to the earthquake or any of this? You know, it, it is are some of these threads that were introduced in these individual stories within this first episode, are they going to all link together yeah you know yeah i think so it was great to see misty knight um she is another one of our favorite characters from the show it's really good to see her back uh, i do love the reaction to claire being interrupted there's no comment on it really she just sees misty and goes great new haircut uh, to her uh, now that she's got a bit more of a bit closer to uh to the afro that we were expecting yeah. um from misty knight that's quite that's quite a cool little touch there um, but yeah former lover of uh, of luke cage certainly no qualms about him being with claire there's no uh, no rivalry there no love triangle there it's just i just needed to speak to him uh, i'm here so yeah we very much got the sense that misty and claire have been talking since their uh, meeting or the last the penultimate episode of luke cage in harland paradise you mm-hmm. did get that sense um i i really enjoyed luke's arc in this i thought it was brilliant in the way that they they did it that they brought a lot of the characters in they closed a lot of the threads the one thing i can't understand is why hogarth and co were representing him Mm. like that 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 wasn't explained um hopefully we will get some we will get a bit of jerry action yeah um in terms of kind of going hey I'm representing Luke Cage. We wanted to do that. Maybe she is the connecting thread that brings a few of them together, not just Claire. Yeah. We assume that Claire Temple, uh, aka Night Nurse, would be that person. Uh, she has yet to be that person so far. She has not connected them. Connect. Yeah. She's just been in pretty much every single one of the shows so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I did like is a, another little movement for Misty Knight's character. We do hear that she's no longer uh, just a, a at a desk in the Harlem PD. Uh, she's now got her own task force, effectively, with a bunch of people reporting into her. She doesn't tell Luke much detail on it. I'm sure we'll get that throughout the episodes of the show. But uh, sounds like she's got quite a big deal going on after after what happened with Luke. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, you know, again, is it connected more into the wider crime, which might bring her into contact with the hand mm-hmm. um, and so on, and the, the, the drug trafficking uh, as a cover for their for their operations? I think the one thing I really liked as well with the story for, for Luke Cage was, I mentioned it before, I, I loved the personal challenge that Claire gave to him to say, you know, how can you have your own life uh, by just being a hero and, and trying to help others you know how how can you marry those up to having a normal life um which i really like the fact that she challenged him i also love when luke cage goes to um uh, the brother of candace uh, who's in the apartment luke is trying to kind of have his his kind of quiet words with this this kid uh, in the same way that maybe that he would have learned from how pops was in, in his barbershop and he calls him son and he goes i'm not your son and it, it really builds to a head and finally you know you can see the kid thinking about what he's saying but then sets you know insists that he leaves and he doesn't bother him because it's too late and, and it, I love that kind of determination in this kid's eyes. He's 
effectively facing down Luke Cage, yeah. who, you know, as the hero of Harlem, as as the big bulletproof uh, guy that he is, um, I thought that kind of was a really neat little touch that um, even with his reputation, even with the, the, the knowledge of, of the community that he he's effectively indestructible and bulletproof, that, um, you know, this kid, for whatever reason, is saying, I don't want your help or I can't take your help. And he's being quite defiant about yeah. it in, in his face. And, and I love those two different ways of people... Um, challenging Luke Cage here. I thought that was a really interesting little take for this character, um, you know? Yeah, uh, okay, I'm going to agree with you on the Claire point. Um, I really enjoyed that, and it kind of straight away in my head is going, oh, heroes for hire! They could, You could do by help people and get paid! Uh-huh. She's literally telling to yeah, be a absolutely. hero for hire! Um, we don't want to assume that uh, all our listeners are huge comic book fans, so just a quick explanation. Danny Rand, Iron Fist, and Luke Cage, uh, Power Man, had a long-running comic arc called Heroes for Hire, where they were just that, Heroes for Hire, how they would help people for money, um, which was great. I, I like that it was an, either a nice nod, or it is a way that they will introduce Heroes for Hire at a later stage, mm-hmm. maybe at the end of The Defenders. Yeah. The, the second part, I, I'm actually, I don't want to sound like a negative Nelly um, on this uh, on this episode because there was so much right there but the part where uh, Luke is discussing and chatting to Candace's brother um, I had a bit of an eye roll at this um, the, the part where he's like it's too late for me you can't save me you can't help me you're saying this to the character who pro- probably is the only man in Harlem who can save you and help mm-hmm. you and I kind of got that okay we'll probably see this this gentleman dead or injured at some point soon and that will drive Luke to the hand to go against them and that will be his driving force for this series. I kind of have to disagree with you because I think actually if it was put all your troubles aside I'm I'm your Luke Cage indestructible oh yeah go on that's as tropey as the other way around Um, like I mean that's why it resonated I think for myself anyway was just the fact that you know that would be the easy way to do it and there are people that don't want to be helped or feel as though they're in too deep like it reminded me of something from the wire where you know there are people Mm -hmm. so deep into crime that the anxiety their fear really prevents them from getting help and that felt right in this situation given he's been away from from prison I think the trope element would have been that Luke comes in and immediately saves the day. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of options there in that Luke could still tail him to find out and, and be kind of that protector in the background. And or... remember what we see at the end of the episode is that Luke saves his mother. Uh, he saves his mother's life by stopping the uh, the light from falling yeah. on the car where she's lost one of her sons. So potentially at the start of the next episode, he now has a conversation with a mother who's lost one of her sons, one of her daughters, and now going to lose somebody else um, in her life. So that is definitely there. Uh, I did like that Luke called out the fact that uh, ask anybody in the neighborhood, I you, they know what I can do. They'll tell you I'm the one to go to when you when you need to solve these types of problems. I love that little moment with Luke uh, kind of leaning into the fact that he is becoming the hero of Harlem. I thought that was a yeah. really nice call out. Like, I, I know what you mean, Chris, and I can see absolutely where you're coming from. I think I saw the same thing that you saw from the other 
kind of side, yeah. side mm. in, in a sense in that maybe one of his weaknesses sometimes is that he wants to help too much and not everyone's willing to accept it so that's how i kind of took uh the the, the kid in the apartment how he was doing it but yeah. yeah i know what you mean definitely and i think it's just we probably looked at it in the same way from two <laughs> different different uh, sides different angles really mm-hmm. um and ladies and gentlemen that is the great point and part of this podcast is because with the three hosts you always get different view takes so you can agree with john you can be in the middle with Derek, or you can be with me Mm -hmm. no one ever agrees with me there was a whole doctor strange podcast where everyone agreed with you for that one day (laughs) there you go Uh, but overall luke cage's take on this show i think think was uh, was really really good i liked the storyline and and there's enough characters that i loved that are in there so claire claire temple's in the Luke Cage storyline, uh, Misty Knight's in the Luke Cage yeah. storyline to begin with. So those three characters on their own would make up a series for me. We've also got all the other characters. We've also got Jessica with her own story. We've got Matt with his and Danny with his, um, with Colleen Wing as well. So loads of good stuff going on in the episode, and, and I think Luke's was also a really strong part of it. Um, our, f- our fifth point, our fifth and final point for the episode is the other character introduced in the show, and probably a really important character, uh, Alexandra, played by Sigourney Weaver, who in her own words is going to be playing, playing the adversary to the Defenders. Not the villain, not the villain. She's going to be playing the adversary in the show. Uh, interesting introduction to the character in this in this show. Yeah, certainly, big time. Certainly didn't expect it to be a uh, an introduction where she's going to get her possible life-threatening cancer um, checked out by a doctor. Yeah, this was really unexpected for me. Uh, it was really unexpected choice, and I'm still kind of in two minds as to whether it worked or it didn't, because uh, one side of me really liked that they opened up this new character with this uh, choice and um, given the trailers for the defenders were you know you've got this whole talk of bringing forward a plan and so on and potentially you see in this episode that the reason for that plan being accelerated is down to her own personal choice because of what she's potentially being told by medical specialists mm-hmm. about how long she's got to live so I thought that was really unexpected and really kind of intriguing and interesting that that's the direction that they came at it. And then on the other side of it, it was, well, just put her in an urn and uh, feed her f- blood from a million hand minions and hey presto. A hundred percent. So this was this is the head scratcher for me. Um, that I was slightly confused and confuzzled by. So we have a, uh, we are introduced to a an entity that is stronger and more powerful, and that Madame Gao reports into mm-hmm. uh, that we can see, and we can talk about Madame Gao in a second, who who has the power to be reanimated, but is so so worried about dying that she accelerates plans that we are told may not happen in the best way because of the acceleration. So this kind of left me as a slight head scratcher because I was like in Iron Fist, we are introduced to Harold Meacham who is, has cancer dies and is brought back to life and everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, Well, he's a walking, talking zombie, but everything's fine. A very murderous man. Yes. 
Yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, is she almost as old as Madame Gao, who we know is a couple of centuries uh, on her? And we're just <laughs> curious. Is it just like, is it the that you don't want to die? I, this is the bit, it's, it's a head scratcher. I don't want to say I'm annoyed. I don't want to say I, I didn't like the introduction. I'm just like, huh? Well, it should be. It's the first episode of an eight-episode series. Exactly. We shouldn't get everything thrown at us immediately. I think it's a good introduction from yeah. her. Uh, I was absolutely convinced, and I had to look it up, I was absolutely convinced the doctor that was talking to her was exactly the same doctor that told Doctor Strange, no matter how much money you have, you can't fix this problem. I'm not willing to take on this job. I thought it was exactly the same because it's such a similar line. I wish they'd got the actor to do it. And he's a French guy as well. Yeah. So two two French doctors completely confused me. It's not the same actor. Um, I did like it, though. Um, I did like her, inter- in- her introduction here. And yes, Chris, absolutely. As fans and watchers of Iron Fist, seeing that she's going through something that we have seen Harold Meacham go through. And the big question, yes, is... Why isn't she doing what Harold Meacham did? Because she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't want to. There's a reason for it. Harold Meacham did go absolutely crazy, killing people all around him after being brought back from the dead. He couldn't die. He was killed once and came back to life during the series of the show as well. So, um, so there's some reason that there's a risk to this. We see with Electra yeah. uh, that she is also brought back from the dead, and she doesn't seem to have much memory. Um, and she has very direct dealings with uh, Alexandra in the episode. So. Potentially, Alexandra knows there's something wrong with this process of bringing people back from the dead. And maybe there's another process out there that won't let her potentially lose her memories or become murderous. And she can keep the power that she's attained over these many years. There's a reference to the fact that she does. I don't know whether she's just referencing just some general trivia or or general Google stuff. But that's almost like... I was there. It's a very ancient piece of New York history. Um, She says that New York is can't imagine the city being covered in trees as if I was there when it was covered in trees, almost. Yes, absolutely. And I I think that's certainly one of the reasons that she may not want to go through that process because she knows that Mm. she does a Harold Meacham and starts attacking people with ice ice cream scoops and stuff like that. Yeah, ice cream parlor. Everybody eating vanilla ice cream. But I I, I did... Like, that's the thing. I, I think it was judgment in a sense or my final view on it really is is held just to see um whether there's any further explanation but i can take it equally that she doesn't want to be like harold Uh, she knows yeah there's an issue with the process but i was still thinking that you know she's got that to hand so to speak but i thought it was a really interesting way to to um introduce her character and of course, um, not only did you have one amazing lady with Sigourney Weaver, but there and Alexandra, but you also had uh, Madame Gao coming in again, like you said, Chris, almost sort of very much subservient to Alexandra. I think Alexandra gives her the bag of seed or, or bread to finish feeding the pigeons in, in that conversation. Um, it's funny, Madame Gao is almost kind of slightly concerned as to why things are being rushed. You know, that a lot of time has been spent on this. Yeah. But again, it, it was really nice to see um, Madame Gao in, in this episode for me. I absolutely have really loved 
this character from Iron Fist and obviously right back to the uh, early days of Daredevil. And yeah. it's nice to see her being involved here um, in, in this storyline and to, to what extent. And she's dismissed very quickly um, when she comes back to Alexandra after putting her request in, uh, in into process, you know, that things are being moved forward. Um, she It's almost dismissive so oh very much so um, So, like you can imagine the moment it's you know madame guy does walk quite slowly even though she can fight she walks very slowly (laughs) so she's gotten to the top of a building to come and see alexandra to tell her this piece (laughs) of information she gets about half a sentence out and then is told no thank you this is what's happening (laughs) on your merry way i just Uh, thought i've got images of her like professor farnsworth or something (laughs) just creeping very slowly taking a long time to get there arriving and being asked to go (laughs) immediately (laughs) very slowly it's very sad yes poor yes but who has the power who has who has this type of power? How, why is it that Alexandra has such power over Madame Gao? Um, all to find out throughout this season. I'm really intrigued to find out. Yeah, it, it's a question. As we know the hand has multiple fingers. One was Madame Gao. One was Bakuto. We knew that. There was also Nobu from uh, Daredevil. So we know that there is kind of lieutenant. Is she the, the general? Mm-hmm. Is she the palm of the hand, if you will? Uh, the connecting force um, so yeah, again, I, as you said, yeah, this is the introduction. This was episode one. Well, like we're not going to get all the answers, and I'm dying to know more uh, about this character. Yeah, I'm dying to know more. So interestingly, obviously, the ending moment of the episode when we get all of the characters back together is because there's an earthquake going on in New York, and each one of them are shown experiencing that earthquake at the same time in their in their various pursuits across the city. Is this earthquake connected to? our famous hole at the end of season two of Daredevil. We'll know, obviously, by the next episode, but we don't watch ahead, listeners, as you know. Um, so do we think that this, that the dig yeah. that was going on in Daredevil season two, by rushing the plan, have they destabilized some of New York? It is a classic reference to View to a Kill um, with James Bond, where they put uh, explosives down in a big hole in order to cause the San Andreas Fault to um, move and slip to cause flooding in an area. So they can sell all the property. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Zorin Industries um, returns. returns. But they've taken it, they've done a corporate takeover like of, the, of the hand. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm hoping it has a connection to the, the hole. I'm hoping it is the, the large hand coming out of the hole that we prophesized back in season two of Daredevil. That is That's that is what will happen. Wee. It's the royal we, the we that you know you guys believe it too. <laughs> Our crazy theories that potentially will never come true. One of. Um, I'm hoping theories. so. <laughs> Again, the royal R. Those are the top five forts for the episode, guys. Um, a couple of notes, probably, uh, about the episode. It was a pretty big one. Yeah. So I don't have any Easter eggs just yet. I'll probably kind of be, be able to pick a few more uh, as we kind of delve into the series. The first one I wanted to talk about was the actual directors and the production designer. Um, their usage of color in the fir- throughout this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. We were introduced to Matt bathed in red. Uh, throughout a lot of the, the the show, Luke's in bathed in yellow. Uh, we have Iron Fist bathed in green, and Jessica bathed in the p- lilac purple. Um, that is kind of 
were given to her. But I really loved this. It was a nice aesthetic to show you which story and which character this this scene was referencing, absolutely. If, even if the character was not on screen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I thought this was a great touch, and I think I, I'm wondering how it's going to be taken um, by people who've watched all the series, but definitely to point out that there are people that are going to be watching The Defenders and only The Defenders, and I do think this is a really good key to people that haven't seen it before, that you're watching four completely different storylines. I think it's a nice touch. You do definitely pick it up that Luke Cage's scenes are bathed in sunlight. He's he's out in the open after leaving prison. That's you know It doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's just his character's yellow, so we're, we're colouring the place in yellow. It also has a meaning for his character um, because Jessica Jones tends to be in the danker parts of the city because of what she's doing, the type of investigations that she's doing. That's why the purple bathing works really yeah, well yeah. for it, her pieces. It's kind of purple well. or even kind of going into a blue, mm. uh, a bluer tone as well, which kind of, it chimes with that private investigator yeah, vibe as well. I, I really enjoyed the green as well for Iron Fist. Uh-huh. I felt it was like it, it seemed much more that it melted into the background, like it was the it was the the color on the dashboard of the helicopter or, or of New York City uh, and its lights yeah. as they were flying over, and even just almost gray greens like that opening sequence really wasn't that green, but you got hints of a gray green yeah. uh, through through that sewer network. And then absolutely with Daredevil being bathed in the neon lights of the of the lights that are on outside of his apartment. The reason why he has cheap rent in that apartment, remember, is because there's so much light coming in <laughs> from outside that he's the only person that can live there. So um so all nice touches and all you know, it's not just the fact that they that they coloured every scene to indicate the character. It's also there is a reason within those scenes. So really good choices. Yeah, and and they did Almost, uh, obviously not to the same extent, but almost like Batman 66 transition uh, between um, sort of the different moments of going from one of the characters to another. So I think there's one moment where it's there's a lot of trains going by and a bus and then it goes to, I think, Luke Cage or something like that. But there are edits between the different uh, characters and their particular story being told at that moment uh, or that part of the arc, that kind of transitional edit, which I thought was quite kind of interesting because that really hasn't been used before in any of the individual series. Yeah, yeah, they've never really had to to do it. It's good, I, and I think it will help a lot of new new watchers or people that aren't uh, that that, ha- that don't remember and didn't go back to the series as well. It's a good way of kind of indicating as they go. Yeah, John, I, I really when you said Batman sixty six there, I just had this vision of like <laughs> the logo spinning out. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as on the nose as that. Yeah. Absolutely, it was more <laughs> subtle, more appropriate. Yeah. But it it definitely had those transitional uh, edits uh, to move between the different characters as well. Certainly, I think it was after their initial introduction. Definitely, and that was really good. Usually on these shows, as we get our first episode out, we usually talk about the opening titles at the beginning of the episode. We're going to save this for notes this time, obviously, um, because it's important to have the chat. They're brand new. There's brand new titles. There's brand new theme music in here. Chris, what do you think of the opening titles? I I loved it, guys. I'm not even going to lie. Straight away, they took elements from everyone's opening titles, mashed them together. One of the most, one of the little detail I loved was the the map being shown out of their silhouette mm-hmm. yeah. um, was actually the areas that they were attached to 
So Hell's Kitchen, there was a map of Hell's Kitchen on Daredevil. There was Harlem very prominently seen uh, as from a, a mapscape on Luke Cage. It was just, it was a really nice touch. Yep, definitely. I, I love that kind of, that map creeping uh, through the silhouette of the different characters. I love the fact that Iron Fist kind of got nested in with Luke Cage as well, um, yep. standing in front of him. Um, I thought that was a really good little touch again, kind of almost, uh, you know, suggesting their friendship and their, that partnership as, as heroes for hire. Uh, even were, I think again, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, uh, are come together and then they all kind of start sequencing through, um, all, all the different characters as they build to um, being a group of four, yeah. which I thought was really nice. Um, and I think I really like the, uh, the Luke Cage one. I love the determination on his face. And I think for I'm fist as well, it was because for daredevil, you got the, that classic pose of daredevil looking kind of down and off to one side, like you get at the end of his opening titles whereas for for luke cage and i'm fist it seemed more recognizable as uh you know as danny rand as finn jones and of as mike coulter uh, and luke cage but i i, I really liked the i'm fist uh, i i thought the expression on the face uh, really gave a sense of sort of anguish and anxiety from the PTSD. I think that that Danny suffers from. Mm-hmm. I I kind of like that touch. Um, you know, you see the beard as well. So yeah, great opening titles, and obviously keeping the the color motif throughout. Absolutely, yeah. The the opening theme was great. It did feel like something that belonged within the kind of series uh, overall. It felt like it did take a cue from some of the other shows and was mixed, much like our new opening theme. But uh, yeah, <laughs> a little mix of uh, of our previous themes. Yeah, no, Derek, I, I completely agree. That was one thing I was going to actually ask you as our music maestro. What you thought about the, the theme music? Yeah, um, yeah I, I'm interested to see will it change somewhat over the course. Will we get a will we get a silhouette of the hand perhaps in the theme? Um, like there was some shows now do make slight changes. Not Netflix shows, but other yeah. shows do make slight changes through the opening credits. I think with Netflix, usually it's because it advances you past the opening credits in, on the next time you watch an episode because you're binging all eight, which we're not doing. So we will see the no. credits every time we watch the show, and I'm happy about that. They're pretty good. Yeah. I'm happy too. On that note of us being happy, let's see whether we defend the episode or not. John, do you defend the first episode of The Defenders on Netflix? Yes, I do defend this episode of The Defenders. Um, I give this four rickety kitchen tables and a flying fruit bowl um, for <laughs> for this out of five. Uh, yes, in good old Luke Cage fashion, and um, this is coffee with cake for me mm-hmm. and a side order of whiskey chucked into it as well. Like, I really enjoyed reconnecting with all four of the defenders here. For me personally, I, I felt that the the treatment of Iron Fist here felt um, just much darker. It, it, it felt more uh, atmospheric Um and it it just felt intuitively better. And um, as I was saying, I loved how Alexandra was introduced into this unusual and unexpected uh, as it was. I, I kind of liked that they showed her immediately vulnerable. I thought that was a really uh, nice little touch here. Yeah. Yet she shows how 
um, powerful she is, at least within the organization, by being able to be quite uh, forthright and dismissive to Madame Gao, who we know in herself is a very powerful member of, of, of the Hand. I mean, I just loved every moment that Jessica Jones was on screen. <laughs> Everything about the her as uh, a dysfunctional uh, person living uh, in New York, really just wanting that quiet life. Um, it was great to see Malcolm back connecting here for Daredevil. That personal, intimate tone really I, I enjoyed uh, an awful lot and certainly at this meeting with Karen Page um, yeah and and with Luke I mean you know the abs were back and I, I, I liked that uncomfortableness uh, uh, feeling from him of you know being so well known but and wanting to help and be a hero but not wanting to be called one and I, I like some of the threads that that really moved through this, which I, which compared and contrasted the different uh, individual members of, of the defenders, and it'll be uh, great to see them start to intersect with one another's lives, um, and and to ultimately team up and to find out more uh, about uh, the hand's ultimate plan. So yeah, absolutely, well, it could be four flying fruit bowls and a rickety kitchen table out of five nice nice so chris do you defend this episode of the defenders i 100 percent do lads i'm so happy to be back in this world i'm happy with everything they've done as the introduction i as i said throughout this podcast i had minor gripes literally minor nothing took away from this uh four small arcs that were given in reintroducing these characters beautifully it's the best way i can say it mm -hmm. and then the the tease that is the the hand and alexandria and that introduction of sigourney weaver that is I, i'm dying to know more now why is she not using the urn how long has she lived is this a thing that will happen is she multiple thousands of years old hundreds of years old i should say i'm dying to know and of course they end on a cliffhanger as we've talked about many times that we know Netflix now know how to write cliffhanger endings that make you want to binge to the next uh, episode and that is how we are left um, rather than a cliffhanger or we are given a literal earthquake mm -hmm. yeah. I 100% defend this guys I, I can't wait to get on to episode 2 it is just where I want to be now. I, I can't wait to snuggle in with the Defenders for eight beautiful episodes altogether. Seven more from here. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say. I can't say anymore. Derek, do you defend this episode of the Defenders? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Yeah, this is this is great. Um, before you guys had seen it, I got a little bit of a sneak peek because I was up early in the morning just the, when we received our, uh, our early copy from Netflix. The only comment I could make before you watched the episode was... Each of the four characters gets their own bit, and they each do something that we thought was pretty cool when we watched them uh, on the shows, when we watched their individual shows. So with Iron Fist, we had the PTSD. We had it treated really well, where he sees the death of all of the, uh, of, of all of the monks from uh, Kunlun. That, I thought, was done really well in this show. They took it from 
Iron Fist, this idea directly from Iron Fist and, and used it immediately. Uh, with Jessica Jones, we see her just being a genuine badass. We see the yeah. smashed door. We see the way she talks to other characters around her, it's particularly Malcolm. There's still no friendship there. She still hates him. She still treats him really poorly, even though he's the only one helping her out. Uh, the way she talks to Trish, the way she acts around her, nothing's changed for the character. It really feels like the character's brought in. For Matt, we get him doing lawyer work. We get him actually being a lawyer. He's supposed to be lawyer by day, vigilante by night. We didn't see much lawyering last time we, we had him out here in, in season two. And for Luke Cage, we see him getting coffee. You know, it's uh, it's the moment we were really introduced to him in Jessica Jones. And it is the thing that we heard lots about throughout the season of, of Luke Cage. Uh, he's surrounded by music, which I thought was a really good touch as well. So, yes, this felt like a huge, big defender's blanket wrapping all around me going, here you are. Here's your show. I'm going to give you a couple of little teases for what's going to come up next. Hit that play button and watch episode two, which is what I really wanted from a first episode of uh, of this eight episode show that we've been waiting for two and a half years for. Uh, I'm delighted to be back. This is a proper proper defend for me for first episode of the show. That's it. That's our overall thoughts on the episode. Um, we are watching a little bit ahead, so there is no feedback for this episode, obviously, because nobody's had the chance to send it in yet. But meanwhile, here's Jessica Jones's voicemail message. Alias investigations. We've got cases and shit, so I'll leave a message. Record your message at the tone. Press any key or stop talking to end the recording. I just like that. I just like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like her nice. saying that she's got some cases and shit. Uh, leave a message. Quite cool. Uh, I wish we had a voicemail message. If you want to send us a voicemail about any of your thoughts about the series of, of The Defenders, it's really easy. Watch the episodes. Go to our website, DefendersTVPodcast.com. Press the Send Voicemail button. Uh, record 90 seconds of your thoughts about any of the episodes and pop the, press the button and send it in to us. Just mark it about what episode you're talking about or say it in the first couple of moments uh, and we'll play that on the episode that refers to uh, to your comments yeah absolutely and of course come on down and join us on our facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash defenders tv podcast come over here share your discussions share your thoughts share your comments on each episode of the defenders on netflix out on 18th of august and of course as we have done previously, we will put up a spoiler uh, post in the group and you can just reply, uh, being free to talk about anything you want uh, underneath in the reply part and comment part of that post. Yeah, really importantly, we don't want to spoil anybody in the group who's watching at a different speed. So we'll just have the spoiler posts for uh, for discussions about the episodes as we've seen them. Um, as we put them up, you can comment with your spoilers. If you want to send us spoiler-filled thoughts other than a voicemail and you don't want to send us a voicemail, email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com with the episode number or if you want to do your review of the entire series, if you've binge-watched it all on August 18th. And for your rewatcher listening to our episodes, that's a good way to do it if you want to tell us your thoughts and we'll read them out in the final episode of, uh, of this Defenders coverage. Yeah, and of course, we're on Twitter at DefendersCast, so come on and uh, follow us there. And of course, uh, as always, you can share the love um, by subscribing at DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes uh, for those of you who listen through Apple Podcasts, or you can just search Defenders TV Podcast in the podcast catcher of your choice. 
Yeah, and I'm going to be the guy that says this now, but please don't forget to share this with your friends. If you are talking to your friends uh, about the show, don't forget, oh, hey, this is an amazing podcast with three really cool Irish blokes. Well, <laughs> two really cool Irish blokes and an English guy <laughs> talking about the Defenders. You should listen to it. So tell your mom, tell your auntie, tell your grandmother and your grand-grand-great-uncle, whoever. Tell your dog. Yes. They want to listen to this. And a really cool tax resident Irish guy from England. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I kind of want to head over and start watching episode two now. Absolutely. We're ready to go. Episode two, which means that we should be back later today as you're listening to this on the 18th of August with our second episode of season one. Uh, then we'll kind of settle into our regular schedule of probably two episodes a week. We'll go back to a Monday and a Friday release of each episode as we go, giving you time to send in your thoughts and your feedback uh, for the episodes as we go so we can have a proper conversation on the show, not just be our voices. We'd love to hear from you throughout the season. This is a big one. We've been waiting for it for two and a half years, so uh, we want to hear as much from you guys watching it or our fellow defenders and your thoughts as we go as well yes thank you so much fellow defenders for joining us uh it's been great speaking with you and of course uh we'll speak with you again next time yeah can't wait thanks guys and speak to you soon yeah and i'm off to go and pick the fruit bowl off the ground <laughs> hey chris do you know what your problem is sentence that started that bye bye Bye. Bye. Bye.